everybody. So uh, we'll do just a little bit of introduction as if these folks need introduction, but you probably have no idea who I am. Uh, I'm Steve Keller. I'm a Sonic Strategy Director for SXM Media, uh, and we carry the Critical Role podcast on Stitcher and SXM. Nice. Some great fans. Um, I do a lot of weird shit with music and sound, and I'm excited to be here to talk to these guys about how they use sound as part of world building and storytelling. Marisha Ray, Matt Mercer. Hi. I feel like I don't even have to go through the litany of everything for these two guys, but just to give you a couple of little points, we've got the creative director here for Critical Role. And the CCO, Chief Creative Officer for Hi. <laughs> and primary cast members and executive producers for Legends of Vox Makana. <laughs> and I'm going to stop there. You can read the rest of their fantastic <laughs> bios on the website. You know, I don't want to go through a whole the list of all the characters that they've played, all the things that they've done in theater. I just want to get right to the conversation. So the first question that I have is, this is a panel about storytelling and world building. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between those two things? Ooh. That's, That's good. Good wow, out of the gate. Yeah. Out of the gate, Steve. <laughs> I mean, they're, they both inform each other. Um, stories, you don't need world building to tell a story. And world building can naturally happen through storytelling even just through improvisation and some simple prompts. But uh, um, world building essentially is the idea of, of conceiving the space where a story would take place. Um, and often people can get lost in the, in the world building aspect and never get around to telling a story. I've definitely been there uh, <laughs> most of my high school time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I guess that's, that's kind of the truncated way. I could, I could, long-windedly explain this way too long in a way that would make you all get glassy-eyed. So I'll leave it there. <laughs> Marisha, how about for you, thinking maybe from a production standpoint or a creative director standpoint, how do those two things fit together? Sure, Is yeah. it a chicken or an egg? I guess it is a little bit of a chicken and an egg situation in the sense of what does come first? Which did? We don't know. Um, to Matt's point, it's very much... In Ouroboros, they kind of feed into each other. And I don't think that there's any wrong way to go about world building in the sense that if you are motivated by a story first and want to then expand the world through that story, that's totally fine. That's one way to, to go about it. And then vice versa, if you are more excited about the world building aspect, you can find many stories within that. I do think that is a important distinction, though, that... You know, normally your, your one story, uh, you tend to have a pretty strong linear MacGuffin, et cetera, with, uh, with a story. But the world can have countless, endless amount of stories within it. Right. And I do think that that is something that's very important to keep in mind. And I think Matt does a very good job with that as well with Exandria, where, um, you know, the story that we are telling on the show and the podcast is very much from the perspective of 
the player characters that you see in the moment. But that doesn't mean that the world doesn't continue to move along, you know, just like, just like the world here. You know, of course, we all know people who have protagonist syndrome. But, <laughs> um, you know, much to their chagrin, the world has other things going on in it. Right. And I do think that it's important to try and, you know, anyone who's wanting to build out a world to keep that distinction of, like, what else is happening that mm -hmm. you're not seeing. Yeah, I, I throw into that too. Like what we do, as far as you know, tabletop games as our storytelling uh, narrative engine, um, they inform each other consistently. You know, I I try and build enough of the world to where the players feel like they're stepping into a living, breathing space that they can immediately connect with. But so much of the things I have planned often change immediately because the players make ridiculous choices. <laughs> um, and take it in directions that I never would have expected, which is part of what makes it so wonderful and organic. It would be so uninteresting to me as a storyteller and as a GM if the players always did what I expected them to do. Then it's just like we're acting out a book. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Audiobooks are great. Um, but for the, for the interactive experience for us, what I love about what we do is it is a constant collaborative game of how do we throw each other off of our axis and and see where the next door leads, you know. Uh, try as I might to build a cohesive narrative, they will fight me at every step. Uh, and then make something more organic, weird, and, and for me at least, more memorable. Well, kind of building on that, world building on that, um, <laughs> how do you prepare to be, you know, you, you have to be so fluid. You've got folks that are trying to throw you off your game, literally. Mm -hmm. uh, so what's the preparation like going into that for, for each of you, whether you're a game master, whether you're a character within the mm -hmm. game, how does that work? For, for me, and I've spoken with many different you know, GMs out there, and every process is different. Some people prefer to prepare very little and uh, just kind of wing it and see how it goes. And that can lead to some incredible, wonderful moments too with minimal amount of preparation. Uh, I have some games that I run that way. With our main show, Critical Role, it's a little more challenging. As it's grown, I'll put it this way. It's much easier to build simple world things that kind of have some fun aspects to it for your friends to be silly and play RPG characters around in if they're the only audience out there. When you have a community of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that are like putting wikis up, that are like dissecting every small bit of narrow you know, story inconsistency on uh, it, it. I have to prepare a little more. So, <laughs> so a, a lot of the work is, is me building the story in the world for my, my players. And that, that's, I'm not trying to tangent too much here. Um, what I feel makes what we do so special for us is that we still do it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to build a product for an audience. We're not trying to make this as you know, good for our audience as possible. My apologies for those of who are audience members here who actually watch our show. We make it for ourselves, and we make it for each other. I build this world and these stories for my friends, and I want them to have fun with it, and that's for me the biggest gift. And then we, I'll hopefully, <laughs> people like that too. Uh, it seems to be going okay so far. Um, but uh, there is an aspect of me also having to, you know, dot my I's and cross my T's that didn't used to be there, because I have to make sure that I don't end up breaking the world for a handful of people on the internet who will be very angry with me if I, if I miss something. <laughs> and I'll try as I might, I, I do 
you know, I do want to do well for them too, you know? Um, plus, I'm just a, I'm a snob for internal logic and world building, and I hate when I don't follow my own rules. <laughs> so as a character, what's that like for you in terms of preparing to be a character? Sure. I mean, obviously our, um, our job isn't as thick as Matt's when it comes to the preparation that has to be done. Um, but especially as Exandria, over the years, um, it's gotten a little bit more involved because we've now been playing in this world of yours for 10 years, eight mm -hmm. years on camera, and then you know uh, several years off camera. But that also allows us to be so much more involved and invested and have, it's so rich now that you can pull from so many different things, mm -hmm. like um, especially for those of you who are keeping up and are watching campaign three, you can see that there's a lot more ties to previous campaigns and previous story arcs. And it's just because it's, we have that option and that ability mm -hmm. to now. Um, and that can be very inspiring in seeing how the world shapes your character and how your previous characters and your previous choices have affected this world as well. You know, um, we in our, our early campaign one left a gate open for a fae deity to come into the world and that forever changed it. And we're still dealing with that now, uh, this entity's presence for those of you who know the Traveler. Um, so yeah, I think that's, and it's honestly just such a gift yeah. to be able to have such a unique living, breathing world to lend to so much character development. So you talked about inspiration. So where does the inspiration come from for some of these stories? I mean, you're, are you walking around Austin and seeing, oh, mm -hmm. I could turn this into, how, how does that work just oh, yeah. in your everyday life? Oh yeah. I mean. To, to even bring it back to my previous question, which I realized I got lost in the sauce and didn't even answer it properly, <laughs> um, part, part of the prep of running these games is taking inspiration from the world around me. It's uh, trying to go outside, which is just good for mental health in general, uh, especially <laughs> in recent years, um, but meeting people, uh, trying to have different experiences, get out of my comfort zone and uh, learn about history outside of America, you know, uh, learn about cultures and and societies and, and mythologies and traditions that I've never been exposed to and see what inspiration can be gleaned from that without appropriating, you know, to, to end any point where that, that path would, that, that bridge would be crossed, instead collaborate with people who can speak to these things and create with authority in that collaboration. So inspiration comes from the world around, it comes from consuming other media and other stories, it comes from meeting people and hearing their stories, their personal stories about their life and their family's history and like, you know, really kind of what storytelling is, is this perpetual process of reiterating on the experiences of the people that came before you and taking the lessons, good and bad, from their experiences and carrying them on to the next generation for the hopes of us all surviving until we can go to space, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, and yeah. as far as like taking that inspiration for, for game prep, uh, what, what, is, what do I think my players want to do? What do I think they're excited to engage with? Does that involve an aspect of their backstory or their history or their character's current emotional conundrum that I can pull a thread on and watch them get nervous or watch them get excited or watch them get extremely sad, which is also really fun? Um, <laughs> or what heroic moment can I give them if they're having a bad week 
that can pick them up off the ground of their real life and inspire them to kind of have a little more drive in the days to come. So those are, those are my inspiration for game prep week to week is what excites my players the most and what can I gift them to make them go into the next week with a little more of a positive drive. Uh-huh. Anything different for you in that? I mean, I mean, even just you kind of talking there at the end, I think it is important to acknowledge, and it's not a bad thing at all, that it's nearly impossible to completely separate your experiences in your day-to-day mm-hmm. life with these, really any type of storytelling or creativity, in my opinion. Um, you know, and I mean, you hear all the time the adage of write what you know, and I think that's actually important, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, because it does give you that grounded sense, you know, and that, that feeling of it being tangible and connected. Um, and yeah, we experience that all the time, the amount, especially retroactively. And when I like reflect on previous characters or choices and seeing how, (laughs) how I was like, oh, that happened because I had a shit day at work. That's where that came from. (laughs) Um, and kind of seeing that and it's also why now I'm tangenting no please Um, please I've done enough of it already (laughs) why I believe that storytelling but especially role playing games can be so therapeutic and you can use them to explore choices to work out to have conversations that maybe you don't get to have or are afforded in your day to day life Um, I am a huge proponent of using um, role-playing games for maybe kids who (laughs) might be a little bit more like on with autism or struggling with other social disabilities because I think it is just such a great tool to practice those type of social interactions without any real-world repercussions Mm -hmm. and consequences. yeah, I mean, it, it truly is just such, it's such a great tool. I'm going to go off on a little tangent. Myself. Please, please, join the club. Away. Be- because you know, my background's in psychology, so you know, we're talking about world building, we're talking about storytelling, but as you both were speaking, the thought came to me thinking about community building. Mm, yeah. So this intersection of, you know, for, for lack of a better way of framing it, fantasy world and world building but real life sense of struggle, yeah. pain, joy, and you guys have been doing this for so long. I mean, Critical Role started, you know, a bunch of friends went in 2012, mm-hmm. sitting around playing games. This is a community, so there is a piece of it that's that's therapeutic, and I would imagine for some of the fans too. Yeah, you know, that so. are a part of that community. Yeah, I mean, does it? Does that resonate with you? Does it strike you as part of the process? Absolutely. And especially like at the end of the day, when we're all going to be lying on our deathbeds, the memories that we are, is the only thing that we have left, that we are left with, the memories from your real life, you know, the memory from our wedding, the memory of being here with everybody at South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that's not really um, any different than the very real visceral memories that stick with me for forever of us taking down a massive red dragon, you know? And um, in that bonding that we have 
as players at the table is so deep and real. We talk all the time about um, you know the Critical Role cast being really our like our chosen family and mm -hmm. would. We would take a, take a bullet, take a sword for any of those people because we've like done it yeah. in game. Yeah. And you have that very, um, once again, it feels very tangible in mm -hmm. a way. It feels real mm -hmm. when we've literally been in the trenches right. with these people in our heads. And I think it's the same thing for the audience as well. It's why we can see such visceral fan art mm -hmm. Because uh, it's like, oh yeah, that's you were with us. You were experiencing that, you know, in this imaginative realm that we all get to share together in this like collective communal mind's eye. So, Matt, for you as a as a game master, is there a part of responsibility for you in terms of keeping the community going? Oh yeah. Do you, do you, Thanks do for bringing you, that up. Do you do you feel that? No pressure. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, yes. Um, for one thing, we're still like every time you see us kind of blinking, going, "What is happening?" At any weird milestone through Critical Role's existence, uh, that uh, there is no filter there or any performing. We are continuously going, "What the fuck is happening?" Pardon my language. Um, <laughs> but um, having a community rally around this. And it's one thing to have a community that's like, they like what we do, that's fine. There's a lot of, of media out there that has that. What I love about this is it's a community that took what we did and what I hoped would happen and be inspired to create their own stories, to find their own communities, to find and make new friends. And in their emergent role play narratives, find their found families and their best friends and reconnect with their families. And, you know, uh, discover who they want to be. Maybe it, it allowed them to really kind of explore the person they have always wanted to be and live in that space for a bit and then become them. Like, there's, there's so many powerful things here that are not just powerful for us, but what I love about uh, role-play games and the actual play communities beyond just us, like Dimension 20, uh, High Rollers, uh, so many other great people out there, is we inspire our communities to, to enjoy these stories and then go, hey, you can make these too. The, the reason this is so important to us can also be the reason it's very important for you and the people you care about or will learn to care about through them. And we see that time and time and time again. It's extremely powerful. And it, uh, to what you're saying, like, uh, that, that's the legacy I'm probably going to look back on the most proud of on my deathbed. I'm going to look back and all these wonderful faces here and the people that you know, have taken what we did and then made it their own. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is special. Yeah. Well, I want to touch on inclusivity a little bit because you talked about collaboration um, and I was at a panel yesterday about um, inclusivity in designing immersive experiences and one of the panelists sure. talk about themselves as a designer uh, as a facilitator you know of opening the door to other experiences that could change an individual's perspective of themselves or the world that they live in so for you uh, whether it's personally or in critical role, the business, or within the gameplay, um, how does inclusivity factor into your thought process? I mean, as part of the responsibility of, of having the platform we've been given, especially in a time where weirdly inclusivity is divisive, which it should not ever be, <laughs> um, it, is, it is something that we 
continuously consider, both in hiring practices within our company, as well as finding opportunities to elevate new talent, new storytellers in the space and community around us. You know, um, in game as well. In game is always there. There's the thing. I'm, I consider myself very lucky that I was raised by a family and in friend groups that were uh, from all different diverse backgrounds. And it wasn't until I became an adult and kind of went out into the world where I realized that wasn't the case in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And so the creation of Exandria to me was designed to be a space that reflected uh, that inclusiveness that I wanted the world to be. It is aspirational. And I, seeing so many other creators iterate upon that and do even better work in what they're doing is fantastic. Um, and to be honest, we, we, we can't do this forever. You know, there will come a day where we want to take a step back and elevate the next generation. And, you know, whatever the, the, the next, the new mutants, if you will, to <laughs> use a very specific mm -hmm. Marvel nerd reference, um, you know, to, to pick up the torches and, and, and carry it on from there. And so these are all very important things for us to consider in, in the future. We didn't mean to build something that's gonna last this long, but if we're here, there's a responsibility to make sure that we do it right. So we only get one shot at that. And so bringing in new talent, bringing in uh, new people with new perspectives, and not just you know using our platform to show what they're capable of, but down the road, be able to let them take the baton and run with it. Like These are all equally important. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we're just one little group of nerdy as voice actors, but it doesn't mean that we don't take it very seriously in the impacts we can have in the small spaces that we do. So I want to shift a little bit. Um, we were talking earlier. I'm a sound guy, so I, I love sound. I love looking at the weird ways that it shapes our perception and behavior. Um, and one of the things that I love about role-playing games is very often we talk about immersive experiences. And when we hear immersive in the context of gameplay, usually we're thinking VR. Usually we're thinking sure. of something that we're seeing and immersing us. Metaverse. But this is about what we hear. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I'm just interested in some of your thoughts around the ways that using your voice, using sound, using music, you have a record label now. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> you know? Scanlon short hold music. music. Sound design. It exists. Um, what? <laughs> right. All, all of that as, as part of creating an immersive experience in a yeah. world that you maybe don't see unless you see it in your mind. What, what are the advantages or maybe sometimes the disadvantages of, of that part of sound in relationship to the narrative of, that you're building? Should I take this? You take this. Kick it off. I'll, 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 I'll tag team off you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, early on, especially if you go back to like the early days of Critical Role, um, you can see where we've grown with trying to incorporate, you know, original music, um, sound effects, uh, cues, things like that. Um, but even in our home game, you were always very diligent about using music to set the scene. And obviously, I think no one needs convincing that music can be a very powerful tool to set the tone. Um, and then we've gotten very lucky over the years, especially with Campaign 3, and it was very important to me from a creative direction standpoint with the new set that we built that we were currently on, um, we were able to utilize projection effects, and Matt has a steam, de uh, st uh, steam Deck on the back, Stream Deck, 
but a Steam we got Deck there. is also... Yeah. You also have one of those. I also have a Steam Deck. Powered by Steam. We have a Stream Deck in the back. Um, and that was like a dream that we've talked about that you've had back when we like first started dating <laughs> about having the ability to hit buttons and change the sound effects, change the lighting cues, change the environment. Um, and being able to achieve that was so thrilling and just very important uh, to something that I wanted to do for this as Critical Role continues to evolve. And everything that we built was basically like proprietary. I had to bring in a lot of theme park specialists in order to help us build it out because in talking with a lot of film and television people, they were like, well, why projectors just use a green screen? And I was like, no. <laughs> because it is just as important, if not more important, that everyone at the table also be able to experience mm -hmm. and hear the projection effects and the sound effects because it affects how we play at the table. Sure. You know, it all feeds into it. Yeah, we could add rain sound in posts, but if we can actually get that feeling and have that visceral reaction, if we are caught in a dust storm, maybe on the moon, I don't know. Uh, how does that sound? How does that sound? And so many of those moments now as we've um, advanced the show, that it just leaves such a strong imprint mm -hmm. in my memory. Uh, and I think, once again, in the memories of people at home as well, listening, you just, it, it just adds a little bit more, just that one extra wrinkle in your brain <laughs> that just gives you that connective tissue mm -hmm. um, when you're able to uh, utilize all of those yeah. audio effects. Yeah. I'm very audio-centric. Uh, being a voice actor, my father was a musician, my brother's a musician. Um, I, sound, to me, is very important. Um, being a kid that grew up watching cartoons, making my own sound effects, you know, and just being a, 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 being the weirdo uh, that I am, uh, it was it was just for my home game something that I tried to bring in as part of that immersive experience. Getting Bluetooth speakers and making my playlists, my you know iPad, and being able to switch around. And then as we've had the opportunities to like expand on the tech we've had, the challenge is what can we do to advance the immersiveness for the players, but without detracting from what it is we're doing, which is just being present being engaged with each other and just really being just a bunch of friends around a campfire more or less telling a story together and so that's what you and your production team have done really well is writing that line to the point where it doesn't distract from the the honest analog experience of being yeah. just human beings reacting to each other's laughter or um, you know, emotional state or being surprised at each other's choices and laughing um, yeah, we had a lot of talks about that like do we have like if someone casts fireball, do we have like a boom? Or if someone like throws an arrow, do we have thwips? And it's like, nah, nah. that starts to <laughs> very teeter on the edge of like, oh, welcome to your morning zoo crew and radio. <laughs> like, nah, we didn't want to do that, gets a little distracting. Not, so I hey, think it which, is nothing wrong as a person who grew up in Dr. Demento, there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I learned to do audio uh, editing for like web projects long ago. But my, 
I found a love of creating my own sound effects mm. for certain moments in my home game. Mm -hmm. We had one of our Vox Mountain campaigns where like, I wanted to have a collapsing glacier they were in, so I found a bunch of oh, yeah. you know, sound effects oh, cool. of like cracking sounds of, of glass and ice and slowed them down and added like heavy bass and reverb and began to like create soundscapes in my home game and like setting up speakers around the room with the players didn't notice when they sat down. And so you know, there's something about well-timed and well-created uh, audio for a storytelling experience that can just be that little extra level without a lot of effort put into it. And now there are so many people out there that are creating soundscapes for RPGs. Mm -hmm. Like Plate Mail Games is a great resource for like wonderful audio soundscapes you can just have playing in the background of like creepy drones of being in a dark dimension somewhere or you know the sounds of like hammering on metal if you're in some subterranean dwarven enclosure. They, they just have them ready for purchase. It's one dollar and you download you know a loopable audioscape. Like there's now wonderful creative people out there creating these for these experiences and I love that we have that availability now mm -hmm. and it really makes a difference. And I would think too in a, a world that's more narrative and sound driven where you're talking about inclusivity mm -hmm. there's more of an opportunity for me to listen and imagine myself yeah, in that instead absolutely. of seeing you know something telling me what I'm supposed to be seeing. I think that that's kind of what for me is the the real joy of the narrative storytelling that, that happens in RPGs is everybody's mind's eye perspective of what's happening is unique to them. Each of the players in their mind have their own idea of what, how, what happening right now looks like. And then we have a community of incredible fan artists that then do their artistic interpretations of these scenes. And often they're not just even more grandiose and cooler than we were imagining, but we get to see you know, 20 different perspectives on this singular moment and they're all valid and they're all gorgeous. And they all just continue to inspire how we imagine the world too. And it's this kind of like reflective, I don't know, uh, positive feedback loop of, of creative people all expressing this shared moment and going, man, how are you all so talented? <laughs> and why are you here? I don't know, but I'm glad you are. <laughs> so we're talking a little bit about tech. We're at South by Southwest that has a whole track about tech. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole on this, but I'm curious, uh, with all the buzz now around chat GPT <laughs> and voice synthesized AI, there's, there's an ooh in the crowd. The this collective pucker question. in the room you can feel. So, so you know, I'm, I'm just curious as to, you know, whether it's your experience thinking about the game or even as voiceover actors, mm. you know, that part of your job is getting paid to voice a script. Mm -hmm. sure. um, where you think chat GPT fits in, what are, you know, pluses, minuses, how do you prepare for, you know, the, the inevitable that it will show up? Yeah. Um, I won't ask yeah. any more questions, just go from there. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, do you want to kick this off or shall I? You go. All right. Let me preface you this. You start. Let me... See if you walk into fire first. That's okay. Let me preface this, that I understand that on some small scales, AI technology already exists and is available and very helpful in many different facets of available technology, whether it comes into you know, supporting people with challenges, whether it comes to just making things uh, more accessible. There's a lot of wonderful uses of low-level AI. When it comes to AI beginning to encroach upon the creative spirit of the human being, that's where I begin to have a hard time gauging it its utility. Um, when it comes to creating AI, AI art, I'm not saying that a machine can't create something beautiful, but it is iterating on the 
creative human experience of many other artists to amalgamate something. Um, I think there is utility to some of these AI elements, but I, I firmly believe that its utility is, would have to be very careful and should not supersede what makes art magical. And I say art uh, in the sense of all forms of artistic expression. Um, as, a, as a voice actor performer, mm -hmm. um, we've already seen many tools online that have you know, community created voice prints where they've essentially robbed me, you, other friends of their voice to put it into an AI algorithm that can say anything, no matter how heinous. Mm -hmm. And beyond just the commercial misuse of something that is our identity, it's also, you know, between that, deepfake technology, all these different things that can and will be abused, it, we need, to, first off, I think we need to, to proactively regulate this real fast, because it's going to get out of hand if we don't. Um, to get back to your question about ChatGTP uh, and, and what we do, I'm certain it, it'll, it'll be a useful tool for some people that want to just, you know, experience a digital dungeon master to run them through something, that's mm -hmm. fine. But at that point, play a video game. I don't know. Like, there's some really good video games out there. Um, it's, I could see it being fun for some people. But what makes what, what our storytelling experience and other people who play tabletop RPGs, what makes it so special is the human element. The ability to not just take text and, you know, amalgamate from uh, numerous algorithms a, an idea that looks similar to what other people may have asked in the past, but to read someone's expression, to feel someone's mood to see that smile on your friend's face across the table and go know exactly what you've you know, plucked in their spirit and pull that thread a little more to draw them into the story. It's so much more than just information when it comes to communal storytelling. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I'm interested to see it used as a tool in ways that are responsible. Um, as far as what we do, I don't really see a future of it becoming useful to us, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the distinction and what I always try to remind myself um, is that it, it, the tool, the element of that, like, it is a tool. And I think that's how we're going to have to kind of really look at AI going forward. And I think, you know, technology doesn't move backwards, it only moves forwards. And I think people are going to have to understand and find ways to work alongside it and with it. Um, maybe I'm an optimist. I don't see something like, I don't see AI taking over and robbing artists of being artists. Um, I, I think they will always need, like you said, that human condition to bring to artistry, to bring to storytelling. And I think that's very apparent in this resurgence of tabletop RPGs, board games, et cetera, that we've seen in the past decade. Um, you know, I know there's this kind of super dystopian fear that one day we're all going to be, you know, wearing headsets and we're all going to live in the metaverse and no one's ever going to even look at each other anymore. And I, I don't, I don't honestly really see that. I think it will, we have to once again look at that as a tool set. I think it can be very beneficial and wonderful and useful to bring people together from, you know, across continents. Um, and that's, that's beautiful, that's brilliant. But the more that tech has advanced, the more that people are buried in social media, buried on their devices, I think the need and the resurgence of tabletop RPGs 
has been a direct reflection of people still craving that human to human connection mm -hmm. that you just cannot beat or ever recreate that feeling of everyone sitting around a table telling stories together that and that goes all the way back to when we're all you know cavemen sitting around fire mm -hmm. you know to the oral stories that were passed down from generation to generation before uh, anyone ever wrote them down and I think that that's that's something that I don't ever see going away that's just kind of a part of the human condition and human nature that like at the end of the day we're still animals that need contact mm -hmm. you know eye contact physical contact mm -hmm. and like you said that laughter that feeling of being able to react to someone's genuine reaction in the moment mm -hmm. so i don't i think that's important to to keep in the back of our heads when obviously there's this fear around sure. ai that ai can't replace that well and there's the connection that comes from the the human voice yes. as well you exactly know, that let's face it during the pandemic you know we saw a fall off on television watching mm. and a kind of leaning more into listening to music, listening to yeah. podcasts. You know, there's something about having, you know, Matt Whisper in your ear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, you know, to, to me, these questions around the ethics of, of mm. AI is, you know, you talked about regulation. At what point, uh, you know, are advertisers going to have to say, mm. and the voice you just heard was AI generated. Yeah. Uh, as opposed Nothing makes to me shudder faster. Voice. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot to unpack here. And like I said, I don't, I don't want to spend our time going down the rabbit hole. But I think that um, it does raise that question of ethics around the tension of being really excited about what technology can do. And, you know, if you're a designer uh, or a coder, you know, the fascination with how all of that works. But we can get yeah. so far ahead of ourselves that yeah. we're not thinking about what happens when certain people are replaced, when certain voices are taken and made to say things that aren't representative of who that voice is I th tied to. I think, you, I think you hit on the nose there. It's it's, I mean, to, to quote the, the great Ian Malcolm, we, spend, we were so focused on if, if we could, we never stopped to think if we should. Um, you know, we're, we're advancing at such a rate, uh, and there is an entire, you know, industry of, of, of tech startups and companies, maybe not as many after this past week. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, ouch. Uh, too yeah. Um, but, but that are, are, are advancing technology with a lot of excitement and a lot of, a lot of attention on the, the positive applications of what they're developing. Um, but the rate of advancement and competitiveness in that space doesn't allow for an equal amount of uh, ethical consideration of how it can be misused or how it can be taken and applied eventually by people who don't have those same you know, moral implications in mind. Um, you know, we're rocketing towards the possibility of a Kurzweil singularity here within our generation, and at that rate of advancement, uh, we're falling behind, and that's, that's scary. And so hopefully, hopefully conversations like this and the many that are happening in this space are exactly what we need to 
to force people who are in these positions of power and responsibility to consider this as it's being applied and brought into the world. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it will succeed, I don't know, but yeah. as long as and we I, keep talking about it. I do think it is important, like you said, and it, it's, it's so hard because it's moving so fast that obviously our, our ethics and our, our moral code is trying to catch up with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. And I don't want anyone to walk away. Like, I, th I think for like your home game, if you're like, man, I'm dealing with writer's block. I don't know what to do, you know, in our setting. Hey, chat GPT, can you spit me out five examples of uh, Dungeons and Dragons narrative hook, you know, to like help move that yeah. along? I think that's great. I don't want anyone to, to feel like that is some sort of like a, a hindrance or you're doing a bad. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, that's fine. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be about. All the all the fine lines and the distinctions and the regulations that are really just going to have to be mm -hmm. kind of mapped out over time. Yeah, I using think. it as an ethical tool. Yeah. yeah. Well, on another topic that <laughs> uh, might have a little tension around it, um, just want to explore in terms of critical role mm -hmm. podcasting, how critical role is developed into its own brand in a way, the extensions that you're doing. Um, you know, I play in a world where advertising is really important. Yeah. So just thinking about advertising and what that means for your brand, thinking about the podcast, what are some things that you see as benefits and what are the call-outs that folks need to be thinking about or cautious about. And by folks, maybe I mean brands and advertisers. What do they need to be thinking about if they approach mm. you about advertising? Well, don't be a, don't be a dick. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I mean, you know, we, when we started, all of our content for our, our, our show is free. Um, and we want, we've wanted to maintain that this entire time. We want to make sure that our, our, our content is available to anybody, regardless of their, their current economical situation. Um, as part of that process to maintain a business and keep the lights on, we have to deal with sponsors and advertisers. Um, that has been its own journey of learning as we go as well. There have been some partners that have been absolutely wonderful. There have been some partners who have uh, shown to be a bit prickly and maybe the relationship didn't work out. There have been some people that were great and then we discovered things about their business practices that made us feel really icky and then we stopped working with them. Um, and what that's taught us as we built our company is to make sure that one, anybody that we work with, we have to all converse about a, an advertising partner, a sponsorship partner, and ensure that it's someone we're all comfortable working with. Um, that involves a lot of research. We have people in our, you know, in our company that part of their job is to do deep dives on a lot of these uh, companies and make sure that we at least align in our morals and ethics. Um, and that, that, I guess I want to tell advertisers out there, once again, don't be a dick. Um, and also, I don't know, make it, f if, if it, if it doesn't fit with our, our usual brand, at least make it fun. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a bidet company almost work with us and I'm really sad it fell through because that would have been really <laughs> yeah. funny. Uh, for those who don't know, it's even better if I don't give you context. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's even better. Um, it, it also, it fell through because they sold out of their bidets because of the pandemic and didn't need to advertise. That was the funniest okay. yep. part about it. Wow. They were like, sorry, we don't need you. We're like, well, good for you. Well, yeah, get it. I <laughs> Hell guess. yeah. 
Get it. What? 2020 is weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also part of that is, is trying to make it fun, you know, and that, that's where Sam Regal, our friend and cast member, is the person who, who became the self-appointed uh, corporate shill, as he puts it, that has to, to do our sponsorships and a lot of our ad reads uh, because he knows, he knows how to make a, make a spin on it. Even things that were like, this, this is a weird fit for our brand, but they seem nice and you know, they, it'll fund this other thing we're doing. So, Sam, be weird. And he yeah. becomes weird and doesn't tell us what it is beforehand. We don't know what the advertisements are. If we're involved, he often says like, bring this costume piece. Yeah. You know, like, why, Sam? He's like, you'll see. And we're like... <laughs> Really, man? So, like, we're not seeing the ad beforehand, and that creates also a weird spontaneity, and him pranking us on a near-weekly basis. And is, yes. that a, is that a collaborative process with the brand, or does the brand not always see It's collaborative no. until, unless they tell him to do whatever, and which, which unless, does, yeah. ha- does unless happen. Unless they're a dick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we, yeah unless we, you're... we do have a few brands, or have had a few brands approach us, and they're like, we don't want this, you know, because um, as part of our process as well, we will send them examples of how our ad reads are. And sometimes we've had a few companies come back and they're like, no, we just want you to read it straight and deliver our copy. And we'll be like, with all due respect, no, we're not. <laughs> if that's the case, then we're, we might not be a good fit and we're not the company for you. Um, you know, you can go to literally any other YouTube or podcast and, and get that type of delivery. So, yeah, it is... Um, you know, we ca- capitalism. Yep. Ca- we, capitalism. We live in a capitalistic it's, house it's there. This, <laughs> it's this one system we got. So yeah. if we're going to have to play that game, we want to do it our way and do it fun. We're going to make it fun. Uh-huh. Play, play that game. I <laughs> play see the game. what you did there. Yeah. Clever. So we're going to open it up for questions here in just a, a second for, for you guys. But I thought maybe you just close, um, you know, thinking about the journey of just enjoying playing the game, then turning it into a business, keeping the business fun. Uh, if folks here are kind of thinking about that same path, you know, how do they turn something that they love, that they're passionate about, into a vocation? Um, what are things that you've each learned on this journey that, mm. that you would pass on to someone else? Or something maybe you wish wish you knew uh, as, a, as a younger self that maybe uh, might have helped get you a little further? That's all very interesting. Uh, I'll say from, in, in very particularly about turning a passion into a vocation. One, make sure that the people that you invite to work with you are good people and people you trust. If it's something you love, nothing can ruin it faster than having people really disappoint you and turn what you love into something you hate. And I've seen that happen time and time again. Us going into business as friends, as accidental as it was, we didn't set out to do this. It just kind of happened. And we've been playing catch up ever since. Um, But at the very beginning, when we realized it was going that direction, we all kind of had to have a number of meetings being like, okay, so 95% of the time, this leads into a terrible E! True Hollywood story where everyone ends up hating each other and everything explodes within a few years. How can we not let that happen? And it was us checking in with each other constantly, us making sure that we operate out of mutual respect more than opportunity, and to make sure that before any moves happen, we all have to agree upon it unanimously. And so if you're going to do something like this, make sure that anybody that you work with is someone that you trust 
and make sure that you take the time to check in with each other if there's any possibility of contention. And if, if there is contention, talk it out. And if there's still discomfort amongst the people that you've built this around, then don't do it. Because it, ultimately it's not worth creating more tension in that space than to just lose an opportunity and focus on the next one that makes you all feel comfortable. I'd say that would be one big thing that we've learned. Yeah, that's good. Um, we touched on it a little earlier, but I think making sure that you continue to do it for you, you know, tell the stories that you want to tell. We're continuing, you know, every time we sit at that table, to Matt's point, we're doing it for each other. And I think that's what keeps it genuine and is what is so attractive to an outside audience. Um, because the reality is you can't build a story for everyone. No, you can't make everybody happy. It's literally impossible. Don't try. You'll just only make yourself uh, you sacrifice a mess. a mess. Yeah, you'll only <laughs> sacrifice pieces of yourself if you try and make everybody happy. Um, so if you, yeah, if you build it, they will come. Keep that in mind, and people love to see that genuine expression that you want to tell. And beyond that, I would say, just keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a little bit more important to follow open doors than to try and break others down that might not be available to you in the moment or you know, if the opportunity isn't presenting itself. To Matt's point, when we started this, we didn't anticipate it turning into you know, a, a giant company, you know, multi-million dollar venture with 40, 50 employees that we have now. Uh, that was not the intent. <laughs> but we just kind of, these opportunities, these doors that were open, sometimes it is a little bit more important to kind of like take the path of least resistance because mm -hmm. um, you don't know where it will lead. When If you would have told me, I moved to Los Angeles when I was 19, and I envisioned my life like doing auditions and reading for casting directors and, you know, maybe I'll... Maybe one day I'll win an Oscar. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I'm so, so glad and so thankful that I didn't get stuck and be so narrow-minded that I didn't explore other ventures and opportunities because it never would have led to what we're doing now. And now this is like, we're doing what we set out to do, which was make content, tell stories, it's just not necessarily in the ways that I ever thought it would mm -hmm. be. But this is, you know, we're, we're living the dream. To add to that, too, the, even things that might even be tangentially related to your passion or things that, you know, could seem like it's a diversion for the time being, the experiences and the skills that you'll learn in a lot of these experiences will help your true focus in ways you'll never, ever expect. I helped friends with web series years ago and learned to edit video and audio and was like, I'm just doing this for video content, doing some fun stuff. To this day, the experience I learned in that has helped me in developing, you know, these soundscapes for my home game, for, to allow me to create video art projects for friends. And uh, the, just the perspective on the pacing of editing has helped me in how I run my stories and how to create pace and how to build tension. And uh, you, you never quite know how those side ventures might end up really informing and improving your main venture as you go. Yeah. Um, just make sure you're doing it with people you trust. <laughs> yeah. This industry is rife Skills, with yeah. interesting folk. Skills will always come in handy. Yeah. Like you can 
learning new skills is never a bad thing. If you want to write narrative fiction, but you get an opportunity to, you know, do, say, video game journalism or, or to jump into doing reviews for movies, do it. Try it out, because then that'll teach you how to write on a deadline. That'll teach you how to um, write in a more objective voice as opposed to a subjective one. You know, you can always take those skills and then apply it later to the things that you ultimately want to do. And through that, you find the people that you like, Mm -hmm. and they become the stable of talented creators and producers that you will call back in down the road when you are focusing on the thing you're passionate about and are like, who can I pull in to help make this happen? Mm-hmm. Well, I worked with this person over on this weird thing and I did this weird odd job at a warehouse here, but the guy who was my producer there also had some cool ideas and all of a sudden you have a stable of people that you can pull in to do some cool shit together yeah. uh, that you wouldn't have had if you had just kind of shrugged off those opportunities and just focused on the one thing. Yeah, it's like this, uh, you know, we've talked about world building, community building, this is really life building, and mm. all of it, the common threads of be prepared, show up, but be flexible enough yeah. to take detours. Yes. Because you know? yeah. the story's unfolding, no matter how you think you've written it out, there's always going to be something that in the moment may shift to the story, and sometimes part of the joy is in that shift exactly i'll say to that same point too do not be afraid to fail yeah (laughs) you learn so much more through failure i'm so glad i failed at so many things in my life and i look forward to failing it more (laughs) i know that sounds weird but like it's it's true because when it it helps you helps you adjust expectations for things that can end up leading you into uh undue and necessary disappointment um but Honestly, you meet some of the coolest people in moments of failure. You find out who your real friends are. You find out who, you know, really believes in you. And uh, you learn important lessons that will keep you coming back even stronger the next venture you push for. Well, we've got a few minutes left. If some of you have some questions, look at that. They're just ready to go. We're just just talking up a nerdy storm up here. Try and be succinct, and we'll do our best to get through. We'll try to be succinct as well. Yeah. you off your access, and I was wondering, uh, so for example, you just DM'd at Dimension 20, I was wondering if having a player as chaotic as Emily Axford at your table <laughs> makes your world prep harder. <laughs> uh, I, we, we haven't announced the cast for that show yet. Can you respect me for trying to get you to drop I can. I can respect though. you for trying. <laughs> um, I, I, I will say uh, Emily is amazing and, and a deeply so chaotic player, and I look forward to a day where uh, we could have both her and Sam Regal at the table and watch everything just implode into a tiny little microcosm. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> but good try. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for this talk. The, the concept of storytelling world building is, is fascinating to me. Oh, cool. um, I'm curious how you find the act of creation in a platform that's multimedia by design now, but began very simple around a story amongst just friends, how you contend with that idea of creating in a world that's comic books, it's video, it's audio, it's pod- podcast, it's Dungeon Master's Guides, whatever. Uh, yeah, how do you contend with that? But also, what do you think is the, the next media that you're excited about and you think will, will change the world that much more? It's a good question. I think collaboration is how we contend with that. You know, uh, as much as there's the idea of like, you know, we, the auteur must control their narrative, I completely disagree. 
I, I think, and, and can continue to be proven that things can only be made more if you are allowing people to collaborate and build on something. Um, and with all of our unexpected expansions into other media, we have the opportunity to work with other incredible writers and artists and colorists and letterers and, and people that have valuable opinions. And we very much foster a space of best opinion wins, regardless, regardless of what you, know, you are within the structure of the collaboration. And I myself could not survive being as involved on the scope of this. Uh, so I, I oversee all the creative stuff, but also a lot of it is putting trust into these collaborations and being able to be excited about making something together with these you know, new, new friends we get to bring into the family, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do think it's like expanded. Like, Exandria has transcended beyond just you and just being in your brain or our brains. Thank God. You know, it's, <laughs> it really is a place that anyone can collaborate and yeah. have fun in. I mean, Abria Iyengar got run for EXU, mm -hmm. just took the, took the torch and ran with it. And it's just another great example of somebody building more of the world, you know, mm -hmm. for themselves and for their players. And, you know, even the books we put out, it's, it's an invitation for people to expand at their home about it and make it their own. Yeah, it really makes it more rich. Super. Thank you, and I just want to say good luck in Create a Clash. I think you've got to kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Echoing, thank you for the talk. I've been a critter since the waving dog of Geek and Sunday. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, That's OG. Yeah. Extending the idea of inclusivity, a two-part question. Mm -hmm. Matt, as a GM, how do you keep Exandria not just inclusive, but safe? Mm -hmm. And Great Marisha, question. as a player, how do you enjoy having fun like the basement of Campaign 3 mm -hmm. while still remaining safe? Sure. Yeah. Great question. That's a very good question. I mean, uh, safety in an improvised role-playing experience is an extremely important thing. Um, and while you don't see it on screen, uh, because we've known each other and played for a while to where we know our boundaries and we also you know, know what we're interested in exploring, uh, anybody who goes to a table with people, I recommend looking into safety tools to make sure that everybody is on the same page of what goes and what doesn't to everyone's comfort zone. Because if that isn't done, there's a chance sometimes that it can go into very, very unfortunate in territory and, and be traumatic um, when you're raw and in those zones. Um, for, for me, it's having conversations with the players the same way. Like, checking in with them. If something intense happens in a session, talk to them after the episode and make sure they're okay. Is there anything they'd want to veer away from? Is there anything they, you know, are, are you comfortable pursuing this narrative? You know, and kind of just knowing each other really well, we kind of have a good instinct for each other. Yeah. Um, when it comes to building Exandria, it's just a reflection of that. It's, it's an extension of wanting to build a safe space that can still tackle harsh narratives uh, and, you know, interpretations of a lot of the challenges that we deal with on a, on, a, on a global scale here, but making it, you know, able to be tackled by heroes in a way that I hope inspires us to rise up and try and tackle these things in our actual world as we go forward. Um, making it safe is also listening and learning. I'm, I make mistakes all the time, but I listen to feedback. I look at how people enjoy what's online and adjust where I need to and, and hear people when something makes them uncomfortable and learn from that experience going forward. Yeah, I mean, you really nailed it on the head. I think communication, discussing ahead of time what things you want to explore, what themes, um, kind of touching on what we talked about earlier, RPGs can be a very powerful place to explore dark things. And I think people should be allowed to do that. But before you jump into it, just have that discussion. If you want to 
um, you know, play with anything that might walk those edges or people want to learn with empathy, that should be allowed. But just making sure everyone is clear of what is happening ahead of time will go miles. Awesome. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. <coughs> Hi. Uh, hey. First off, thanks for the years of great content. Um, I've been a critter since just about the beginning. I was a couple months behind. Um, but That's it's awesome. been great yeah. to follow the stories. Uh, so my question goes back to the world evolving in the background from the story. Mm -hmm. So Matt, like in, in campaign three, you've brought in um, a number of retired characters. Uh, when, how do you decide when to either name drop them into the current campaign or bring in the character completely? And Marisha, how do you, uh, what is your thought process when those characters do come into the story? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thought process. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, from my standpoint, there's an exciting aspect of being able to drop that on a player. Like, it's an opportunity that not every GM gets. I haven't had it until critical role because every campaign fitted away in friends. We never did recurring campaigns in the same world because friend groups would change, people would get busy and move away or have jobs and have kids and it was just hard to do. So for me it was, it was an exciting thing to possibly be able to do now and be like, hey, 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 you know that character that you loved and played years ago? Now they're mine and now they're talking to you, you know, that, that's cool. But a lot of it was informed by the players, actually. It was like the Laudna's backstory and Orem's backstory that let me know which characters were going to be woven into their narrative just by the nature of what they created. So this is another example of player-informing world-building and player choices-informing story. Um, so they kind of informed things I was going to bring in based on their stories and wanted to go through the nervous aspect of studying their performances and not ruin their <laughs> characters when they show up to them. That's a little nerve-wracking. Um, but, uh, but also making sure it doesn't overshadow their experience. You don't want it to make it a story where, like, I know you're all low-level guys. Look at how much cooler your old characters are, man. You know, like, it, it's, a, it's a challenge. And I'm, I'm hopefully working through it okay. I guess we'll see as we go. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of a lot of it comes from just wanting to do something cool for my players and them weaving them in subtle ways into the world, which they should have impact on. You know, we're, we're at a point in Alexandria's history where these heroes in the past have had an impact on the world, and so they shouldn't not be present during impactful moments in the world history, and so that also informs it. Uh, I'm getting the signal to wrap it up. Let's take just one more. Let's make it quick, and we'll get out. Hey there. Hey. Hi. First and foremost, congrats on eight years. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. you. <laughs> Question format. So as a GM, you want to give your players agency to create their characters while you're world building. Mm -hmm. There are some abilities, there are some feats, there are some spells that are widely considered game breaking. Are there any you discourage or ban and how do you go about making that decision? In my game, I don't have any that are discouraged or banned, but if the player wants to do something that I feel might be challenging to the narrative, I'll talk with them about how it's used. I mean, a lot of it, once again, it's communication with your, with your players. You know, I don't, want to tell, I don't want to tell a player that I like playing with, no, you can't do this. Um, but I can explain to them why I'm reticent for it to be used or misused and exploited in the way that makes it so challenging, in the way that it makes it, you know, that have a conversation like this. Um, and so the, the ultimate job or ultimate goal of this is everyone have fun. And so the question is, does this ruin fun? Does it take fun away from other players or from me? And at any point it begins to do that, then you have a conversation and say, hey, it's just starting to bother things a little bit. Can we curb its use a little bit? Or can we interpret it in a way that feels a little 
a little more interesting for everyone to engage. Uh, and if and they should be cool to do that because you're the one who's putting the effort into running these games and everyone's wanting to have fun together. If they fight that, maybe that isn't the table for them. I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. No worries. Good Thank questions. you, everyone, for Thank being you. here. Thank, Thank you so much, everybody. Marisha.